Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdina Ozband, our Daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, Daf Ayin Bet, page 72. So I will admit that, Yerdina, when you told me that it was page 72, and this is the Daf of Masachet Kitubot, I was like, huh? And I wasn't really paying attention to the fact that I think of this Daf in its Hebrew numerics, namely Ayin Bet. And indeed, I agree with you, this is one of the seminal Dapim of Masachet Ketubot, in particular because it gives us the a significant discussion of Kisui Rosh, of the mitzvah or the halacha or the practice, and this is exactly what the discussion is, of married women covering their hair. We talked about this back in Masachet Brachot around Daf Kaf Aleph and Kaf Dalet, you know, when we saw the Gemara about Sarbi Sha'erva, that the hair of a woman is nakedness. And this is a completely different approach, as if there is nothing, like there's no tie between this Gemara and that Gemara, except for the fact that nowadays, of course, we can have a conversation about them and connect them if we so choose. Rav Moshe Feinstein Zetzal, in his Chuvot about hair covering for married women, um, indeed did connect them, but not everybody does. Let's get to the Mishnah. And here's where you see that it's very much a ketubah mishnah, ketubot mishnah, right? Specifically, those are, these are the women who would be divorced without a ketubah. We had spent a good amount of time talking about the cases where the where the man would, let's say, swear his wife off of certain things, and he would then divorce her, and then she would be entitled to her ketubah. And these are the cases where she would not be entitled to her ketubah, specifically, ha'overet al-dat hudit. So I want to note that this, I'm going to translate, but then I'm going to note, hang on, I will note in a moment, specifically somebody, a woman who violates, who transgresses the the principles or the practices of dat Moshe, the religion or something like that. Dat is a tricky word here. Usually it's translated to mean religion. The religion of Moshe, meaning Moshe Rabbeinu, the Moses who brought the Torah, and Yehudit, the Yehudit. And this is presumably, you know, Judaism, let's say, as opposed to uh, a person named Yehudit. That's not the point, right? It's Dat Yehudit. These seem to be two different categories of areas of Jewish law, and it is a really remarkably vague statement, as if we all know what Dat Moshev Yehudit, what those principles and practices would be, but we don't, meaning this is where this phrase is used as far as I know, it is nowhere else in the Mishnah, although that's a really big statement to make, and maybe I shouldn't go that far. But it's not widely used as an expression. I know it from here. Yardina, do you know it from somewhere else, or is it only here? I believe it's only here. And again, it's as a term that sort of everybody's supposed to know. Um, but a lot of halachic literature is spent and well beyond what we can do today on this podcast to try to define I mean dot Moshe is much easier to define but what exactly is dot Yehudit how do we get to dot Yehudit how is it defined what are its origins what are its sources um, you know there's there's a lot of discussion around this exactly and the mission here is going to give us the definitions meaning the the textbook Mishnaic definitions but there's still this kind of like hovering presumption, or at least it feels that way, right? That everybody knows what these things are. So, what are, are these precepts or the practices of Dat Moshe? 
ומשמשתו נידה, ולא קוצה לחלה, ונודרת ואינה מקיימת. So all of these are going to be violations of halacha. That's the bottom line. And they're violations of halacha that seem to be rooted or clearly rooted in the Torah itself. Specifically, if the, again, this is, it's going to lead to divorce between a couple, husband and wife, where he is not obligated to give the ketubah, which I all note, it doesn't mean he couldn't. It's not, he's not prohibited from giving the ketubah money, but if they're getting divorced, maybe he doesn't want to. In this case, he doesn't have to. So specifically, she feeds him uh, produce that did not have the tithes taken, meaning that's something that he cannot, you can't know, right? You look at your, your, I don't know, vegetables on your plate or your fruit pie or whatever, you have no idea whether whether tithing has been done. You trust that the people are going to do the right thing, which is to take the tithings. Umesham Shatonida, she didn't, if, a, if the wife did not go to the mikvah and they have sexual relations and their, and her status is one of Nida, and again, it's like a, a hidden practice that, Meaning, again, presumably she goes to the mikveh. She tells him she went to the mikveh. Everything's fine. And then, and Shalom al Yisrael, right? Like it's, it's a fine practice between them. In this case, she she's sneaky about it. She's hiding the fact that she didn't go to the mikveh or she wasn't purified at the mikveh. Likewise, she doesn't take chala. Again, the you would look at the bread at the table and say, well, did you take chala? And it looks like you did, but it's not. But she didn't. And here, lastly, if she took a vow, um, and it, or if she regularly takes vows, I guess is a better explanation here, but then doesn't fulfill them. I mean, if she walks around saying, yeah, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do that, but doesn't actually live up to it. So all of those things are the violations of the Torah law. Meaning if you take a vow, you're supposed to keep it. If you... Um, are baking challah with the proper terms of how much challah, how much flour, and so on. You're supposed to take challah. If you are going to sleep with your husband, you need to go to the mikvah um, at the right time with the proper checks and everything after menstruation. And likewise, if you're going to eat fruits and vegetables, you have to take the tithings, maser, trumot, and so on. What are the, what is this that yehudit? What is this category of law or practice that is described as as I say, I'm going to say Jewish practice, right? Dat Yehudit, because Yehudit comes to, kind of gets translated as Jew, Jewish or Judaism. And here's the hot topic, right? She goes out, meaning the wife goes out in public. Her head, literally her head, presumably this means her hair, is wild or disheveled. Or if she's spinning wool in the marketplace. She, she chatters with everybody she sees. Uh, perhaps that means with every man. Perhaps that means with every person. Abishol adds to this and says, one who curses his, meaning the husband's parents, in front of his face, in front of the husband's face. I don't know why it would be okay not in front of his face, but okay, there's some you know tremendous disrespect going on there. Rabbi Tarfon Omer, af hakolanit. Rabbi Tarfon adds a loud woman, meaning this, I think, is the way we would term somebody who's a shrew, right? Which is not a very flattering term for women to be, but this this um, personality or type of a person, you know, it's a little bit of a, 
not a caricature, but a, a, you know, an image, a personality that we can all relate to. We know what that person looks like. And then, of course, the question would be in practice, you know, does a given woman cross that line into being someone who's a kolanit? And here's the definition. How, what does it mean that she's loud? It means that she's within her house and she's speaking as she always does and all of her neighbors hear her. So again, is this a question of volume or is this a question of fights going on? You know, there's there's a lot of open discussion here just from within the Mishnah, but the bottom line is that we have these two categories and the first category of Dat Yehudit, the first precept of Dat Yehudit is um, the principle of a married woman covering her hair, which of course is a massive discussion that goes far beyond anything we're going to be able to talk about today. Um, and th- many of the commentaries, the halachic sources and the interpretations of the Mishnah lead into the different ways that there's a discussion over somebody who's going to cover her hair. I'm going to just jump quickly to read um, what happens with that particular aspect of the Mishnah. Um, I'm on the very bottom of Ahmed Aleph going on to Ahmed Bet. Yordano, I'll turn it over to you very shortly. That's the citation from the Mishnah, right? This woman who goes out with her hair disheveled, wild. The Gemara says, what are you telling me that her hair is disheveled, her head is disheveled? We already know that that's a Torah prohibition. And if it's a Torah prohibition, how can that be the prime example of Dat Yehudit? In the, the Gemara here talks about the case of the Sota woman, where the Kohen, in part of the shaming of her while they're doing this test to figure out how guilty is she, um, the in the case of Sota, the Kohen dishevels her hair, dishevels her head. So the Gemara says, well, or rather specifically, um, the, the study hall of Rabbi Yishmael says, this is, in fact, the warning that that Jewish women and girls should not go out before Arosh with the with wild hair, uncovered head. Again, to say it's uncovered head is a little bit of a difficult translation, but that is often how it's inter- how it is indeed interpreted. And But again, all of this is the Doraita level. So the Gemara goes on to say, Doraita kata shapir dami. As far as the Torah law is concerned, if she were to cover her hair, and the key word here is a kalta, or here in my uh, Koran, uh, where they put in the vocalization, they write kilta. So I've never actually seen it as kilta before this moment, you know, today in preparation. But um, I would say, whether you say kilta or you say kalta, it means basket. And the idea is that even the people who would, let's say, carry their produce and things like that in their heads in baskets or somebody who just took a basket and dumped it on top of their head, that's not really like a formal manner of of covering your hair or married practice, right? But it would be sufficient to, to cover the Do'oraita level. Dat Yehudit, afilu kalta nami asur. According to Dat Yehudit, that would not be sufficient. There would not be enough hair covered for it to fulfill the requirement of Dat Yehudit. Um, of the of that measure, um, and then the Gemara goes on to talk about you know where does this happen? Is it are we talking about the marketplace? Are we talking about the privacy of your own home? Okay, it's determined it's clearly not the privacy of your own home, and maybe it's not even the marketplace. And it seems the conclusion seems to be that it's you know specific to the kind of um, architecture and and dwellings that they had. Then there was like a a public 
thoroughfare, a private thoroughfare, and then these like in the in between levels where there were, you know, like your neighborhood block where everybody it wasn't quite as public as outside of that. We talked about all of this in the discussion of Erevin, but it was still more public than the privacy of your own home. And I feel like all of the discussion of Kiswi Roche of married women covering their hair and how and in what locations and before whom has its roots. Um, that whole discussion has its roots in this, these several passages. Right. This is like a classic. We're going to learn through or start basically, you know, want to tell him that why do women cover their hair? What was the evolution of this? This would be the primary Tanaitic and Amoraic source that you would learn. So we definitely needed to take the time to sort of go through that slowly. And again, I think the is this whole term like what exactly does this mean and how does that apply is that something that can change with time again questions that we we can't answer today but a very very important passage and key halakhic passage in the gemara itself i will just acknowledge that we know well that not everybody who you know subscribes to halakha is necessarily not every married woman is covering her hair people do what they do, right? Meaning the fact that, and, and we don't really poskin from the Mishnah and the Gemara on it either. So we are not weighing in. We can do that at a separate time, right? We're not weighing in on this practice, except for the description as it comes from the pages of the Daf. Fair caveat to give. Uh, I'm going to move down then to the next Mishnah on this page, which I feel like probably always gets lost because everybody focuses on Mishnah and got the Mishnah. So here the mission sets up a scenario where essentially somebody, agree, you know, says, okay, they're going to get married, a man and a woman, and um, he either check some things out beforehand or, you know, assume that there were a particular set of circumstances and then finds out those were not true. So the first one they give is, is that he... Be, you know, does the first part of the marriage, right? Either Kedusha, Nehrus, and whatever you want to call it. Um, well, you can only call it either one of those, okay? Uh, <laughs> and, right? And it was on the condition that she did not have any Nidarim that she was obliged to fulfill. And then he finds out that she did. So we say, right, then actually that betrothal is nullified. It's like it didn't happen. And I think this is always a fascinating mission to read because normally when we think about nullification or nullment, that's, we think of that as like sort of a Catholic marriage idea um, and not one that really exists in Judaism, but we do see it in this mission now. So the idea being that there was a set of circumstances he, th- those in which he and the man entered the marriage, he finds that those circumstances were not really the, the circumstances that he agreed to, and therefore he nullifies the, 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 the a Rusin or Kedushin is nullified. Let's say he thought she had no, uh, you know, that she had no blemishes, and then she finds out she has blemishes. Again, that Kedushin is, is nullified. Let's say that wasn't something he specifically checked. He just finds a particular moom, a blemish later on, right? He can divorce her, uh, but has to uh, without the ketubah. Because in other words, the idea is, is that, you know, um, that is something that should have been disclosed. 
So what type of movement are we talking about? It can't just be like, I don't know, I, you know, anything that he makes up, you know, we got married and now he decided your legs weren't attractive or something like that. That's not a move, right? There's specific moving, specific when we get to uh, road, right? There's going to be a listing of particular physical uh, differences. And I'm using that word very carefully because uh, this is not going to be PC, right? That would disqualify a Kohen, a priest from working in the Beit HaMikdash, would also sort of disqualify or be grounds for divorce too, but it wasn't revealed before the marriage itself. And again, obviously we could debate sort of the social construct of that. Would that apply today? I don't think that's how uh, certainly in the time also, this was accepted. And again, but, but, uh, but also it's they like derive it from, wait, let me just, it, they, they derive it from the Kohanim. You know, it's not a marriage concept. But also, your data, it's like the same thing with the Kisui Rosh. It means this is a, they could get divorced. They're al- she's allowed to say, right, you know, it's I not won't. a have to. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and so then the Gemara goes on to say, it's not Nami Gabi Kedushin Ki Hai Gabna. Right. We learn in a mission, this is going to be a mission that, we'll pers- that we will see in Masachat Kedushin on Dapa Nun, right? Um, also about a case of, uh, a case like this. So the question is, why do you need it here in Ketubah? Why do you also need the same case in Kedushan, right? And so this is an interesting comment for the Gemara to make because what it's essentially reflecting on is the Mishnah is meant to be tight, right? We don't have, rep- the only time we have repetitive Mishnah is Masachat Edjo, which is a Masachat that appears in the Zikin. Very, the earliest Masachat of Mishnah, remember, if you learned Masachat Brachot with us, it's the Masachat of Mishnah that's written on the day Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah becomes the Nasi after replacing Ravan Gamliel on, uh, on page 28 of Brachot. And that seems to be more of a collection. It's not arranged by topic. It's really just a collection of different quotes and machlok. And that's part of what's important there. Go back and listen to the, on the podcast because we explained that well. Brachot, uh, page 28. Um, but, you know, that, but generally we don't see repetitive. So some of those missions that appear in Edjot appear in the Masachet where it's, you know, where it pertains to the particular topic. Edjot literally just means testimonies. So it's really a good question. The assumption is there aren't repetitive Mishnayos. Right here, it's necessary for the Tana to mention this halacha. Because it's within the context of ketubot, right? In other words, does she is is the is the marriage nullified? You know, is the Rusin nullified and she doesn't get the ketubah at all? Would she get the ketubah or does he divorce her without a ketubah? Right? Um uh Hatam there in Masakh Kedushin, Kedushin needs Trihale, Tana Kedubat Atu Kedushin. Their Kedushin was necessary for him to teach this, right? To mention because there it's more about the issue of a Rusin, right? And and so um, and so he taught something about Ketubot in the context of a Rusin. So the point here is is that we're allowed to have both of these. Ta- this Mishnah could be taught in both places because the context is a little bit different in both places. Here the emphasis is how is this area relevant to Ketuba and to how is it relevant to uh, Kedushan. 
Um, and then uh, the Gemara will go on and talk a little bit more about the Zaramir, uh, but a very, very interesting Mishnah, just a great daf altogether. That's our daf discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.